It's time for Matt Geekab and listener Graham brings us our quick tip of the week. Within Control Center on the iPhone, you can have the flashlight icon available. Tapping on the icon turns the flashlight on and off, but if you tap and hold, you get presented with an icon that lets you choose between four levels of brightness. Whichever level you choose is remembered for subsequent flashlight activations. Uh, more tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mackie Gab 960 for Monday, December 19th, 2022. Ah! Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mackie Gab, the show where you send in tips like that one cool stuff found you send in your questions we share everything that we can we try to answer your questions we loosely string together an agenda of all of these things in some semblance of an order with the goal being that each of us me john p you every single one of us that gets together we learn at least five new things every single week Sponsors for this episode include PIA, Private Internet Access VPN, where you can go to PIAVPN.com slash MGG. You save 82% off your VPN service plus four free months with a two-year plan. It's like two bucks a month. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And Masterclass, we're at Masterclass.com slash MGG. You can go sign up. They've got a, a deal where you, you buy one, get one, and it's it's great. So go to Masterclass.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about that, too, in a little bit. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Brun. And here in snowy Lee, New Hampshire, <laughs> it's Pilot Pete. What a surprise. Uh, woke up this morning, supposed to be in the 30s and rain, and I uh, got four inches of uh, snow. But at least it's wet and heavy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the same here, too. Uh yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. This we record this on Friday, the sixteenth, and so yeah, we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what transpires. But I do know what's going to happen because we have all kinds of great stuff. We're still way behind on getting all of these fantastic, cool stuff found entries out to you. So Ben will uh, help us get going here with a cool stuff found called Meter. Now, this is the second product called meter that we've talked about on the show. The first is M E A T E R. That was years ago, but it's a great thing. It's a, a thermometer, uh, like a, a oven thermometer. I wouldn't call it a grill thermometer because it doesn't do well above about 500 degrees, but uh, uh, that's an oven thermometer. Today's meter is M E E T E R. And uh, that is for all of those crazy scenarios where you have links to various meetings in your calendar and it's a pain in the neck to like dig into the calendar event and find the meeting, click the link, all of that meter parses your calendar and surfaces the meeting links from any of the calendars that you want it to check. Then it provides notifications uh, from which you can join a meeting. And it also points URLs directly to the apps of choice. So this is like taking our whole thing of, of the, uh, the, the, like the URL choosers that, that we've been talking about, because there's lots of those out there that we've discussed over the recent weeks and really targeting it for the calendar. Because one of my favorite uses of a URL chooser is when I click on a Zoom link in my calendar, 
Uh, I don't want to get the I don't want to go to Safari first. I just bring me to Zoom. It's going to be fine. Zoom knows what to do with the link. Uh, this thing does that, too. So thanks for that, Ben. Great. I love these little cool stuff found things. And I think I think meter is is free. I could be wrong about this. Uh, try meter and get meter. So I'm guessing it is free and offers in-app purchases. So maybe free me. Um, so yeah, there you go. Cool. Nice. Yep. I like it. Um, I couldn't have been more excited. You know, I don't, do you guys have automatic updates on, on your, uh, iPhones and, and iPads? Like software updates? I, I, I do not because okay. uh, a, a Mac geek once told me, <laughs> don't don't get caught. Well, that's true. <laughs> right? Uh, the last that. thing you need is a uh, is something to update, especially when, in my case, when I'm on the road and now my phone is a paperweight. Interesting. I mean, so. I don't mean like firmware iOS updates. I'm, I'm talking about oh, app okay. updates. Do you have those automatically update? I, I don't do that either. I should. I probably. Oh, I mean, that, I, maybe. Yes. What about? How about you, John? Do you do you have apps automatically update? No. Okay. And and can I? Have I, a, I have to download them, but not install them unless I tell it to do so. Wait, what? On on your iPhone, there's no oh, difference. No, no, no. That that's okay. in, incorrect. So, so. But I, I your, do not have automatic updates. And why so. is that? Uh, I like to know what's on the update. Bingo. Same, right? I do in the exa- release notes, which usually, and I got a fish shake about release notes. Please say something other than bug fixes and performance improvements. I'm with you on that. <laughs> right? It's yep. just like a placeholder. It's like, tell me what, what you actually fixed yeah. or yeah. added. Yeah. So I do the same thing for exactly the same reason as you, John. I want to see the update notes. I want to know what's in this new app. Uh, or new version of the app. I looked at Synology Drive's update notes. The second thing there, not the first, the second thing in the update, the first was like, you know, bug fixes and performance updates. Or, I don't know. It was something <laughs> else. It was something specific, but very vanilla. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, you did a thing. It's, that sounds great. The second thing was adds the ability to edit um, uh, Synology Drive documents and sheets to the iOS app. It's like, this is huge. Previously, you couldn't edit Synology. So Synology Drive documents and sheets are very much an analog to Google Drive documents and sheets, right? These are are web-based, you know, hosted on your Synology server, so not on Google, but it's otherwise the same kind of thing. You get a spreadsheet, multiple people can edit at the same time, all that stuff, but you own it, private cloud. It's amazing. The one huge frustration we've had for a very long time is that the only place you could edit those was in a web browser. Definitely not on the iPhone easily, maybe on the iPad. If you were really like patient and certainly no problem on your Mac or, you know, windows machine or whatever. Uh, and now they've added the ability to edit these and create new ones uh, in the iOS app. And this was the second line on the release notes. Like, why aren't they shouting this from the rooftops? We will shout it for you. Synology will help. will help. They need some guidance over there, but it's a great thing. I've used it. I, I made some edits to a spreadsheet on my iPhone the other day while I was out and about. Like it wasn't just a test case. It was like, oh, I need to do this. And I did it. And it's like, oh, I'm going to start using this far more uh, now that I can, uh, you know, I don't have to use Google Sheets for the ones that I know I'm going to want to edit on the road. So I don't know. Nice. Yeah. 
So that's Pete. You were asking pre-show that if there was something. Yeah, special. I couldn't remember what it was. Again, you know, elderly, and then I, I, I guess I could have gone to the agenda. <laughs> those, you know, I, I saw it and I went by it, and it was like, ah, okay, whatever. Maybe that's what keyed me in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with that. That's my story, and I'm that's stuck you, with it. I like it. <laughs> All right, John. How about uh, Ed found a thing? Uh, yes, he did. So. um Ed says, I was looking for a CLI, command line interface, tool to batch resize my images from my website. I use EXIF tool to get all of the data from the images, but it doesn't resize them, which huh. is odd. Um, and I want thumbnails for faster loading on my web pages. I discovered that the Mac has a built-in command line tool called SIPS, Scriptable Image Processing System, which is pretty cool. But I found something even better a guy named Tony Smith created some wrapper tools using Swift that makes SIPs work a lot easier. It is called Image Prep and can be installed using Homebrew. He also has written a lot of other t- cool tools, which he has on his site uh, at uh, smitty, uh, smittytone.net. Yeah, Smitty Tone. Yeah, you're right about that. I thought it was Smitty One when I first saw it, but it's yeah. Smitty Tone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I checked it out. Uh, actually, if we do a man page on uh, SIPs, um, it was uh, the date on the man page is 2005. So this has been wow in macOS forever, and we never knew it. Uh, yeah, I'd never heard of it before. I I did a I I love the terminal command TLDR, which is mm-hmm. you install with with brew, but it like keeps a database of the the most commonly used like the most common ways that people might use a given terminal command. So I TLDR this and it, it like, it'll tell you, yeah, specify like resample an image at a specified size image aspect ratio, maybe altered, you know, you can just like, boom. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I like it. Okay. That's where that came from. (laughs) Yeah. TLDR is, is TLDR is awesome. If you are in the terminal at all, and I would even say, the less comfortable you are with the terminal, the more helpful TLDR is. Uh, do a brew install TLDR, and then uh, and then just type TLDR space and a command name. So in this case, I did TLDR sips, and it showed me like five or six different examples of how I might use sips. Nice. So, so Dave, help 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 the neophytes out. What is a brew install? Right. Good question. Um, so in the homebrew is I'm a neophyte. I know. Uh, <laughs> homebrew is a package manager for the terminal and package manager sounds like a, a, a crazy term that's only nerds use. And it's true. App store is a package manager for Mac OS or app store is a package manager for iOS. It is a way of managing applications, sometimes called packages, uh, because they technically are packages, but that's just nitpicking, isn't it? So, yeah. So yeah, packages br- of software, packages of software. Correct. So brew lets you easily install and uninstall terminal commands, just like the Mac app store lets you easily install and uninstall Mac apps. You could do them a different way, but that manages it for you. So brew, you, you, um, you go to brew.sh, there's a little terminal command you you run. It's right on the web page. That installs the package manager. And then from there, 
you just, uh, you know, go to the terminal and type brew space install space. And in this case, TLDR. And uh, and now, you know, it'll it'll do all the crazy things. You'll see it do them. All the crazy things it takes to install, a, a, you know, something, a, a package on a Unix machine and it'll do it. And then you've got it. But John, I think you've got an even better way. Um, I like, uh, there's a program called Cake Brew. Uh, what is Cake Brew? Cake Brew is basically a GUI for a package manager GUI. So if you want, if you don't want to go into the terminal, uh, this is a slightly, at least for me, a nicer way to get to all those packages. And there it's interchangeable because it's, it's just a graphical interface for homebrew. So if you are already using homebrew and you want to install cake brew, it will just show you everything that you've already installed with homebrew. It's just got a graphical interface for it. So it's not a separate package manager. It is just like John said, a, a, a graphical way of looking at it, perhaps a nicer way of interacting nice. with it. You don't have to remember right, so what's I've got type. a follow-up question to that then, Dave, because, yeah, you know, and we'll get more into it in a little bit about, you know, I after the Hangout last week, I decided, oh, this channel thing sounds pretty good. And I went in there and I was trying to find out how to get Pluto to work with channels. Sure. And it, all the research said, hey, use Docker. So is Docker similar to Homebrew? It seems like a package manager of some sort. Is that a, is that a fair analogy? I mean, kind of. So what, what, and this is definitely a, 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 a rat hole here, but that's yeah, fine. Sorry about no, that. no, don't apologize. <laughs> this is a good one. So I, I'm thinking Docker, the, the thing that is, this is interesting that you asked that question because if someone, if you had simply asked me, what is Docker? I would say it's like installing very minimal bare bones, virtual machines to do huh. one specific thing. And that is true, right? Like you could, if you wanted to set up, a, you know, a, a virtual machine manager like Parallels or VMware or, or, or any, there's free ones out there, right? You know, you want to set up one of those, you could, you put a Unix operating system inside of it, then finally install whatever you, you want to have it run, right? Fine. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, let's say you wanted to set up an iPerf server, right? iPerf being the, the, the speed test thing you can do on your local network. So Fine, you install, and this is way overkill what I'm describing here, but yep. but bear with me. So, yep, you install, you create a virtual machine, you install Ubuntu inside the virtual machine. Then finally, when you get all of that up and running, you know, an hour and a half later, you go through, maybe you install some package manager or something inside your virtual machine, and now you install iPerf. iPerf is maybe a, you know, 200K app, and you just spent three hours building a Linux machine that you now have to manage just to have iperf running. This is overkill, but it is a way of doing it. People were doing this so that they could compartmentalize stuff. And that's how Docker was born. It was like, hey, wait, I need a very specifically configured Unix environment to run this one little server app, but I don't want anything else to talk to it. So I want it in a virtual machine. So you're sandboxing it. You're yeah. sandboxing it. Yeah. Docker is that environment. They are very compartmentalized bare bones uh usually i think always i could be wrong on that but certainly anytime i've done it unix environments that are standalone and and sandboxed but not full featured they they are you know very clearly built to do a specific thing so it's interesting to me 
And that's why I always relate them to virtual machines, because that's sort of the evolution of them. But it was interesting to me that you saw a jump from homebrew to Docker. And that is perhaps the other side of what Docker is, because it's like, well, I need something that's more sandbox than using homebrew to just install an app. But I don't want to have to like manage a virtual machine and Docker sits in the middle of that. So really, it's you could come either way at it. And I thought I knew the origins of Docker, but it's entirely possible. Somebody came from the look, I've been using, you know, Red Hat Package Manager, RPM, but I need more. What if we just scale up one level and, and create a thing like that? That could also have been Docker's evolution. Oh, I interesting. I okay. don't know. I just knew that I needed to run a command and I couldn't. It was a Docker command in yeah. order to get the uh, yeah. create the, the container that i needed but okay yeah no yeah. it's it's fa fascinating that you asked it that way that um okay and i don't know the origins of docker i thought i did and now you've made me question everything i know about my life no but that's <laughs> what I, holes. that's what we love about <laughs> this show yeah yeah so that's that yeah. that's um it, yeah. interesting like yeah docker sits between yeah. virtual full-on virtual machines and like just commands that you're installing on your Mac or on your right. device. Yeah. So to pull us back out of that rat hole and go back to what, what got us into it was the uh, ability to resize images using uh, SIPs. Yes. And I just thought I would bring up that what I've been doing for many years is I created a little uh, app. I don't know if people know you can do more than a workflow. You can create an app with Automator, which is what I did. And it was three simple parts of it. Get selected finder items scale images and then you can go in and set what size you want and copy to a folder those are the three things right there and I, and I put it copy to a folder so i can easily find it once i've scaled the image i made it an app and then i take that app and i drag it well i keep all my automator apps in a folder in applications called automator apps but then i take it and i drag it to the top of my finder so it's up there on the toolbar then when i have a picture or of an image that i want to rescale i drag it onto that little icon and it rescales it and drops it in the folder where I want it. Oh, dude. I always so. forget. This is brilliant. Because as you were explaining, I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of work or whatever. But as soon as you talked about putting it in the header of the the finder toolbar. Sorry, not header. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's header, but we call yeah. it toolbar. That's the genius part here. And I, I always forget that that is inf oh, not infinitely, but very customizable. Yes. Yeah. And so I could do it there. And then the other cool thing, and so I don't have a little automator dude standing up on my toolbar is I went and I took a picture of a hand squeezing a sponge and I did a screen capture of it. And then if you go to your automator app and you hit command I, it brings up all the information about it. And at the top of the screen, there's that tiny little icon. If you, if you select it and then hit command V, it takes the screen capture you've just taken and you've created your own app icon. Amazing. Dude. Dude, I need to have All applause. Yeah, that's right. Like, <laughs> it, like we learned a thing right there. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, man, that's great. Wow. Yeah. And to wrap it up, when yeah. when I like to resize images, um, this program has been around forever. Graphic Converter is worth a look. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It'll it'll resize them, but you can do it'll it it long has supported batch resizing of images, so you can point mm -hmm. a folder at it and have it not only resize them, but rename them according to various, you know, yeah. So that sounds far more uh, mm -hmm. uh, granular. It's just, yes. You know, when you've got a lot to do, I just do it when I have to take a five megapixel picture and send it over the email, you know, it's just send someone a 360 K picture. 
that's what I use. Yeah, right. So, but what John's yeah, but I finally remember, Dave, you and I, before we had WordPress, were writing scripts to do image processing when, before we posted stuff on on. Oh, on a Mac Observer, a graphic converter, not only would it resize the images and make thumbnails, it would make a web gallery, like an HTML gallery of those images. And we would, yeah, you're right. It like Macworld Expo or whatever, we would take the images for the day that you had shot, run them through graphic converter, and then literally upload that folder to the website and point an article at it. And we were done. I mean, I say done. It's a lot of freaking work compared to what you yeah. have to do today. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. WordPress changed that, John. Yeah, fair. Um, there is speaking of like, well, in this realm, there's another app I use called image optim, uh, O P T I M like, like short for optimizer. And it is built to compress an image losslessly, lossless, not losslessly, um, compress an image and maintain the same or very, very similar visual quality, but also strip out like the, the thumbnails and like an image, especially on the Mac, but it's probably true of other platforms. Uh, doesn't just have the image in it. It's got like the icon for it and all other stuff. And when you upload that to the web for, you know, like for your website, that goes with it. Cause of course it does. It's in the file. Well, that also means that when a, a, a a user comes to your website to download it, they get all that stuff that they will never use. They don't need. So this compresses the image in a better way, strips out all of that stuff and leaves you with a file that uh, you, you can upload to the web. But this might also help you for your email thing. Pete. I mean, you've, you've solved the problem. This doesn't change the, the dimensions of an image, but it often will reduce it by a massive amount of space. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just an interesting little tool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's all kinds of stuff, man. Um, speaking of all kinds of stuff, we we just did our our hangout, our cord cutting hangout for everybody that came. That was awesome. We had a great time. We're going to be doing a, I think a mesh Wi-Fi one is coming up next. We'll we'll schedule that and and put it out. But uh, we did it uh, last Saturday and it worked out really well. Um. What didn't work out was we sent out an email ahead of time, of course, telling everybody that we were doing this and telling you you could join the Discord and get the Zoom link there or just subscribe to the Mac Geek Gab calendar. And then lots of you, as has happened over the years, uh, told us that the Mac Geek Gab calendar gave you an error. What we used to do with the calendar up until a couple of days ago was if you went to macgeekgab.com slash calendar, it would redirect to a shared iCloud calendar. Apple's like whole, like the, the URL that Apple tells you to use when you want to share a calendar publicly with people. Totally not doing anything that you're not supposed to do, working the way it's supposed to work. Except it didn't. <clears throat> so I was frustrated about this. Some people could get the calendar. Other people would just get like an error. It wouldn't, like the server would just decline the request. It's like, what the heck's going on? See, so I thought it was me. Right. No, it it's, wasn't. It's not you. So um, what we have done is I thought, okay, this is, this is untenable. This is insanity. We need to control this widget, but I don't want to stop using iCloud calendar because we like the way it works internally for us. We just want to be able to share it, which Apple says we can do anyway. So I put Lucas on the job. Uh, 
in the midst of doing his job, Lucas took the Mac Geekab website offline for a little bit on Monday accidentally. But, you know, these things happen. Move fast, break things. Uh, but what he he did is wrote a script to that now pulls Apple's calendar URL once every 15 minutes. And when it gets success, it saves it to our website. So we are caching Apple's calendar. And I feel like our server, this is a weird phrase that I'm about to utter. Our server is more reliable than Apple's. That doesn't make any sense to me that I'm saying those words, but empirically I have proven it uh, as have you, you've all experienced it. So if you are, if you have been subscribed to the calendar before, let's say actually it was about a week ago. So uh, it, it's worth unsubscribing and resubscribing because it, it does redirect to a different URL. Now, if you, if you subscribe previously, what would have happened is, you would go tell it macgeekup.com slash calendar. It then redirected you to Apple server and your calendar app would remember the Apple server uh, address. That is still the correct address. It just doesn't answer all the time. You can still use it if you want. It's not going to be wrong. It just might not be fun to use. So uh, resubscribe, just visit macgeekup.com slash calendar. That'll redirect you to our uh, cache of it, which is what your calendar software will remember and then you're good to go here's the fascinating thing guys now that we have a script running to do this we decided to have it spit out a log uh every time it successfully gets the calendar because i wanted to know like how often is it error like how much what do we need to do here to get this to work the calendar starts answering at 6 55 p.m eastern time every day it stops answering somewhere between 8 and 9 a.m. Eastern time every day. Between those hours, it answers flawlessly. I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I've never seen it fail in the evening hours, and I've never seen it succeed in the daytime hours. So it's not like there's some overload that you might get through or whatever. It never gets through during the the daylight hours and it always gets through during the nightlight hours so i i this is like but macgeekup.com slash calendar folks that's where you're gonna go subscribe and then you'll know when we're doing the live shows and you will know when uh our live hangouts are and all of that good stuff oh man so the other night i was at a hockey game over at the university and i joined their wi-fi network like i always do and i realized I couldn't get my email to download. Like some of my email, one of my accounts would download, but the other one wouldn't. And I turned off the Wi-Fi and they both came in fine. And I'm like, but I want to use the Wi-Fi because, you know, I don't want to burn my data. And also that's super creepy that they're like filtering by the, the provider of an email account. I think that, and I'm not, I don't use sketchy providers for anything. I'm like, you know what? This is creepy. I don't like this. I'm turning on my VPN and then every, I was able to check everything. And this is why having a VPN is an absolute must have. Every time you go online, you don't want people knowing what you're doing. Of course, I get to tell you about the VPN that I used, which also happens to be our sponsor. And it's the one that we chose earlier this year is like the top tier one. It's PIA PIA stands for private internet access, and they take privacy seriously. Not only does PIA hide your IP address, it encrypts your entire connection. This protects your internet activity from everyone, your ISP, network admins, 
whoever's running that Wi-Fi network and filtering things. I assume that they are now knowing what they're doing. I, I don't like it. And I'm glad to be able to just be able to, boom, push the button and it's gone. PIA is available for all platforms across all your devices. And just one membership can protect up to 10 of your devices simultaneously. Right now, go to PIAVPN.com slash MGG to get a whopping 82% off your VPN service. Plus, four free months with a two-year plan. It comes out to around two bucks a month. You can't beat that. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee for you, too. That's PIAVPN.com slash MGG for 82% off private internet access. PIAVPN.com slash MGG. And our thanks to PIAVPN for doing what they do and for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best artists, icons, and leaders anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to think like an FBI profiler from John Douglas, a former FBI profiler. You can learn songwriting from John Legend. You can learn the art of negotiation from Chris Voss. You can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay. This is amazing. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors like these, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. That course from Gordon Ramsay, it's awesome. You want to learn how to make those delicious scrambled eggs of his? Sure, right there. Like there's all kinds of things and they come with these great recipes that are fully fleshed out. It's gorgeous. And this isn't like a class where you have to just sit down and do it all at once. You can explore lessons in any order you'd like across your phone, your tablet, your Apple TV, your computer, and on the go with just audio mode. And the lessons are all like 10 to 15 minutes in length. So they're easy to fit into those little pockets of your everyday life. I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give the perfect gift of an annual Masterclass membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash MGG today. That's masterclass.com slash MGG. Terms apply. And our sincere thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. All right. Ben's got one for us. Or he has a question. Have you all, y'all, considered Visible as an alternative cellular provider? It's a subsidiary of Verizon, so not a traditional MVNO, but similar in that there are no retail locations supported entirely by chat and price is hard to beat. Uh, when my fam- family switched in April, the going rate was 40 bucks a month for unlimited data, text, uh, talk, text, and data with an option to join others in a party and pay as low as 25 bucks a month. The rates have since changed, but they're still competitive. Okay. Um, and he has an affiliate link, which we'll uh, put in the show notes. Um but yeah, it's, it was funny. I, I I was like, why did he say they're not really MVNO? And I guess to me, the thing is, when you go to their page, they don't hide the fact that they're Verizon. They actually brand it as Verizon. Where uh, most other MVNOs don't necessarily advertise who they're using behind the scenes. Right? Actually, most of them will tell you. But this is, I, I believe, it's uh, like owned by Verizon. I mean, when it it's mm-hmm. called Visible by Verizon, uh, so I I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it clearly is marketed with Verizon. A lot of the MVNOs, MVNO, I, I, Mobile Virtual Network Operator, I believe is what that stands for. What it means is th- these companies like Mint Mobile is an MVNO of T-Mobile, Visible, obviously, of, of Verizon. 
what it means is they don't have their own network of towers. They use someone else's network of towers and then, um, you know, they handle the billing and 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 the you know, however, the service is going to work. They get to decide all of that. So you just, you know, bulk using the towers and and then however the you know the service and minutes and data and all that stuff is is up to the mvno so and most not all most mvnos are prepaid plans they don't market it that way like mint certainly doesn't visible doesn't lead out that way prepaid plans you know had a there was a stigma associated with prepaid plans that they were only used by people who had no you know didn't have good credit or whatever but really, it, a prepaid plan, the nice part about it is, like, they don't have to have an accounts receivable department. If you don't pay, they don't give you – like, you don't have – it's just super easy. And so there's a huge cost savings for them right out of the gate by being prepaid. But Mint really was the one that pioneered marketing a prepaid plan without using the words prepaid because they wanted people that – felt that stigma about prepaid plans to want to use theirs. Uh, and, and visible appears to be a prepaid plan as well. They, um, did, did you look up the pricing on this, John? I think it's, it's pretty interesting what they're doing. It's, I thought I saw the number 30 somewhere though. I could. Be yeah, it is. It's, they've got two plans. It's, they've got visible and visible plus it's 30 bucks a month. For visible, and that gets you unlimited talk, text, and 5G and 4G LTE data, and unlimited mobile hotspot usage, uh, and you get unlimited talk and text to Mexico and Canada. So that's, I mean, that's expensive, but you're getting a lot with that for an extra 15 bucks for visible plus for 45 a month. Uh, and these are numbers that include taxes and fees, so you're not paying taxes and fees on top of that. You get all of that, of course, plus you get 5G ultra wideband if that's available in your area. And then there's some other savings that you can uh, that you can get. You get roaming in Mexico and Canada. So if you're traveling across the U.S. borders, uh, the land borders a lot, that might be valuable to you. know. So it's I mean, it's expensive for certainly for an MVNO, you know, it's like double the price of, of cost of entry for most MVNOs, but you're getting it, what they call unlimited. I don't know if they, if they dig into what actually they throttle after 15 gigs or something. Yeah. They, they don't say anything about that on the, uh, on the, on the page there, but that's certainly a question to answer before you, before you uh, sign up. But yeah, that's not, that's interesting. It's not terrible. If you if you really want unlimited and I still maintain that no one needs no one uses unlimited people use an amount. So learn your amount and then make your decisions eyes wide open. Uh, but most people, you know, don't. But if you feel if you decide you want unlimited uh, and the flexibility that comes along with that, then um, 30 bucks a month. I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, uh, you switch into this, John? Well, I just made a switch. So, uh, no, uh, not, okay. not yet. All right. What do you, what do you, you're with, cause you're with Verizon. So this would mean you keep the same network. What, what, um, what are you paying? Verizon has a deal where if you're 55 plus, yep. you can get, um, a discount on unlimited data. So that's what I did. Got it. Got it. 
Um, do you do you know off the top of your head what you're paying per month? Uh, it's about sixty. Oh, I think. okay. So you could save a ton of money, but it's I less bet. than what I paid before. Of course. All right. So I will say, switching cell providers in today's world is almost a trivial process. Certainly, there are people that have had you know headache processes where you need to get on the phone for an hour and and sort something out but by and large it's you know go in make sure it's, you get the unlock code and you're done yeah so after after 3 months it's funny that you know today the day we're recording uh, the 16th of December uh, coming out on the 19th is my, my anniversary to renew mint mobile there you go yeah and uh yeah for uh, it it was surprisingly easy to switch from AT&T to Mint Mobile, and I am paying less than half of what I paid at oh, the yeah. big guy. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, well, especially when I looked, you said, look at the data you use and, you know, what they are. Uh, three of the people in my family use less than four gigs. I So I have them. Uh, I, I'm paying, I think, 10 bucks a month yep. for each of their phones, unlimited talk and text, and their four gigs, which they never use. And then the other two of us use... More, I, I I went unlimited because when I did max out in in July when I was on the road, it was like, yeah, this is untenable. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Yeah, so, but but yeah, for for five people, essentially unlimited. It's it's I think twelve hundred bucks a hundred bucks a month. Right. So it works to works out to twenty dollars per person. Yep. Per phone. Yep. Yeah. No, it's it's these MVNOs. Uh, you know, this is the. This it's is, amazing. It's the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm shocked that that hasn't forced down the prices of the big carriers more. T-Mobile's the best of the worst in in that regard. And I don't mean to say right. T-Mobile's bad, but like yeah. of the big ones, yeah. like the, yeah. you know, they're they're yeah they're 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 the the least worst <laughs> in terms of pricing. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you all choked up about this, Pete. So, uh, but yeah, it it's shocking to me i guess i guess the numbers must prove to them that they don't have to that there's enough right. people that want to be affiliated with a brand name and are willing to pay double or almost triple to have yeah. that affiliation i guess uh, you know and and that's where mint i think has really done a an interesting job because they um you know they they've made mint a brand name right they they they've worked really hard i mean they you know they've brought in I mean, I know Ryan Reynolds owns part of it now, but like he's yeah. part of the marketing of it for that very reason is like, no, I'll show you this. But they've so paid I've the got, way for all these MVNOs. Like, yeah. yeah, so I've got an interesting story. Um, instead of Sam's Club here, we have BJ's in the Northeast. So I was in a BJ's eh, six or eight weeks ago. And, you know, the guy's always walking around with the clipboard. He's ready to sign you up for their cell phone. He comes up to me and he goes, uh, may I ask if you have cell phone service? Of course I do. Every Everybody does now, right? Yeah. And, um, may I ask who you have? I said, I'm with Mint Mobile. He goes, okay, have a nice day. <laughs> so this is really funny, Pete, because I was in BJ's maybe if the timing is right, maybe three yeah. or four weeks before you. And it was the AT&T guy with the clipboard. It's the same thing. And he came up to me and he's like, you know, do you have, I said, yes, I said Mint Mobile. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, Okay. Like you pick the wrong guy, but okay, like let's go. And uh, I said, you're with AT&T, right? Cause there's signs of AT&T yeah. all over him. I'm like, yeah. he's like, yeah. I'm like, look, man, 
we left AT&T two years ago to go to mint and I've saved about 3,500 bucks since then. Uh, and he's like, yeah, but the service never works. I'm like, this is not true. Like, here's the thing. And I just started spouting like data, not like, like, yeah. like experiential data, but also empirical data. Adam, I'm like, no man, like, this is how it is. You do this, you do this, you do this. They do this, they do this, they do this. I'm like, it's not like, this is the wrong. You are not that you do not have any arrows in your quiver that will make what you're offering more attractive than what I already have. I'm like, just yeah. trust me on this. So clearly yeah. he learned. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, never mind. Have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Have a nice day. Yeah. 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 He yep. knew he couldn't beat. He knew. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's great. I, I like that. That's good. Hey, uh, on the cool stuff found bandwagon, which I think we're still on here. I don't really yeah. know. Listener Jim tells us he found something. Um, he says, a great, inexpensive holiday gift idea. He says, I use my Apple TV a lot, and I don't care for Apple's remote. I found an Apple TV button remote from a company called Function 101 at function101.com. That works great. Uh, and he sent us a link to it. He says, I really like this remote, and uh, it makes using the Apple TV uh, so much better. It's only $29.99 and worth every penny so when he says it is a button remote what he means i mean the apple tv remotes are button remotes now too with one exception and that is the uh the the the, the directional pad at the top of it uh has buttons on the edges of it and the center of it certainly is a button but the pad itself is uh used for uh, it, it's like a touchpad that you can use for scrubbing this remote does not have that touchpad and so I asked him, I said, okay, th it doesn't look like th like this. It doesn't seem like this um, adds anything. In fact, it takes away that one thing. So correct A, please correct me if I'm wrong. And B, what's scrubbing like in this new world that you're in with this, with this remote? And he said he never liked the scrubbing thing. It was always too touchy for him. And uh, I might be putting words in his mouth, so I apologize if I did. But he didn't like it for whatever reason. And he says scrubbing with this, it's just you get different speeds of fast forward. You know, you get 1x, 2x, 3x, 4x or whatever. And he says he likes that a lot better. So if you're if you are frustrated with the scrubber on the Apple remote, this one's for you. Thanks, Jim. Good mm. stuff. Speaking of Apple TV. Yes, John. Quick tip, I think, even okay. though we're in cool stuff found. But I just right. ran into this and I couldn't figure it out. So I use the Apple TV. Um for the most part because it does the best job of reproducing surround and, and other sound feels so uh, i prefer to use the apple tv sure. oh, i was binging something on um netflix and what would happen is i would run the netflix app the picture would come up at full brightness and then after like a half a second <clears throat> excuse me um it would go to like half brightness and i'm like what the hmm so went through the normal trouble troubleshooting. I tried a different HDMI port. I did a restore on the Apple TV, which is real easy because uh, you can set it up with your phone again, and it it still wouldn't wouldn't um, it, it still lowered the brightness whenever I ran um, Netflix, and I'm like, what's going on here? Okay, um, here's what solved the problem, um, which was the last resort. I'm like, you know what? 
let me reset the TV and see if that helps. And it did. What? <laughs> That's what fixed it. I thought a restore was going to do it on the Apple TV, but apparently the TV got confused. So, you know, re, 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 uh, restarting the TV or doing a factory reset, uh, put it back in a state where it understood what Apple TV was, was telling it. Interesting. So I wonder if this, cause I know with like HDR TVs, you can have, you can tell the TV to, I forget what the, the thing is called, but essentially display it like the director intended right and and certainly that can mean changing the color balance and changing the brightness and all of that stuff and i wonder if you gave i mean it seems weird that all of netflix would would operate that way but i wonder if you like in the setup of your tv you gave that permission and then by by resetting your tv you took that permission away that that would be the only yeah because I because I go ahead. Simplink or Simlink, Simplink, something. No, that that's different. That's and, different. Yeah, yeah. it turns your TV on and off with the Apple TV. And, yeah. co- correct. No, this is an HDR like thing where where you basically okay. say, yeah, let the director take control of my TV for this one movie. Yeah, you know, would yeah. would the problem go away when you left Netflix, John? Mm-hmm. Like, with the brightness would come back. You didn't have yes. to like, okay, so it was, you go in and it was the entire Netflix app or only when you actually played a movie or a show. And actually, you know, I think it was any app on the Apple TV. Oh, so I have a few different apps. So I have, um, you know, Disney plus. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. was all of them, but I, I started noticing it Interesting. in Netflix. So I'm like, maybe it's just a Netflix app, but no, it was like every, every app. Yeah. So I, I don't know what was, what was happening there but it was something in the TV. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? Fascinating. Interesting. I, there, yeah. Nice catch. I mean, there you go. That's I've noted that I've had to go ahead. Pete. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, I've noted that I've had to restart my Apple TV 4k a few times. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it'll just go funky and, uh, you know, it's, it just starts this, it looks like a 1960s TV. You know, it's, I just get snow and, and rolling and that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, it's gone stupid. But if I re, if I unplug it and plug it back in, now it's a three-year-old port case, so it may be. It shouldn't be. But, but it's, it happens after several hours of not being touched. Like if I put on the TV in the morning and, and just let it run in the background and then come up to it, it'll be it rather, occasionally it'll go stupid. Huh. I wonder if somebody could make an app for the Apple TV that would you know, slowly get the TV to just shrink down to just the dot in the middle. Like when your tube would yeah. fritz out on your old TV. Yeah. I haven't, yeah, I haven't until you started saying this, I hadn't even thought about that. in you know, certainly since I became an adult, thank goodness. <laughs> right. Yeah. The old CRTs. What, just w- sitting there and watching. I remember the frustration, you know, in the family room or whatever, of like you'd be watching the TV and then it would just slowly start to like sh- the the image would shrink from the top and the bottom. Yeah. And you'd be like, no, no. Like, you know, my dad would go over and like bang the TV on the side. And maybe that would like get it back. But some every now and then it just went down the little dot in the middle and was like, all right, got to turn it off and let it cool out. I'll just yeah. remember the days, the old vertical hold, horizontal hold. Yeah, and man. Just those. And <laughs> get off of my lawn. Would roll. And- uh, you've got something more, slightly more, I know we've talked about it before, but slightly yeah. more recent that, um, and, and more technologically relevant, uh, that you've started using Pete 
You want to tell? You want to talk about it? I, I did, and again, I might have even heard it here, but I don't know. It's under cool stuff found. Uh, I've got a SanDisk Ultra Dual Drive Lux USB A slash USB C thumb drive. I was looking for a uh, thumb drive in order to we'll talk about it a little bit, um, but but I needed to be able to have a big enough thumb drive to put Mac OS bootable system on, so I could boot a uh, Mac Mini and get it back up and running. And so I, I looked around and said, eh, you know, I, I only needed, I think, 14 gig or something. But I, when I started looking at the prices of a one terabyte thumb drive, I went, oh, you know, I, I could use one of those. Well, I didn't even notice, Dave, when I ordered it, that it was USB-A and USB-C. So, one, that's cool because, boy, does everybody need that these days, right? Because yep. uh, USB is no longer st- standard. <laughs> it's uh, It's anything but, it seems. Um, so that was really sharp when I got it. It's one and a half inches long, a half inch wide and a quarter inch deep. It is stinking small. So you're going to need to put a lanyard or, or something on it so you don't lose it. Trust me. Um, and so it's read speed on a five gig file is 156 megabytes per second. It's write speed on a five gig is 36 megabytes per second. And, and this is what what device file. is this on that you're you're this, this is a uh on my MacBook Pro okay. 2021 with the M1 uh in in right there in the USB uh, C slot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then on a one gig file, it'll it'll write 70 megabytes per second. Um that's real world. Uh so um <clears throat> What the other thing I'm actually thinking about doing with these now, because we'll talk about it more in a little bit, but I got a, a new Mac Mini to run as a server. I, I, I don't know. I haven't done the speed test across it yet, but I suspect I, I only bought the base model with 256 gigabytes of internal hard drive, and on those Mac Minis, you can't change them out. You can't buy one with a 256 and put your own one terabyte or two terabyte hard drive in it. It's not doable. It used to be configurable. Um, so that costs a lot of money, but what I'm thinking now is I could stick one of these in the USB drive and throw my Plex data there and throw it, uh, the channel data there. Right yeah. now it's on my Synology drive. I'm wondering which would be faster, the USB attached to the Mac mini or leave it on the Synology drive. Oh, I, I mean, I would assume reading over gigabit ethernet from, I mean, it's going to come down to the speed of yeah. the drive, right? Cause you've got gigabit ethernet. Right. So that's already, yeah. um, so it's well, the speed of the drive in the Synology NAS. Yeah. But I mean, you're getting, you, how fast were you getting like it, hundreds of megabytes or hundred? 156 read. Yeah. I mean, you'll get, you don't need to be any, you know, probably the max I need to read is probably six or eight megabytes a second. Right. You're right. 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 Yeah. So it's not going to matter. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Fascinating. And and, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about why I would consider that when we get down to that portion of the show. Yeah. 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 yeah, The USB vice the NAS. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to share that story. In fact, we've got some, some questions and I'll, I don't know that Bruce has a question, John, but Bruce certainly identifies something that leads to potential fish shakes. Yes. So um, uh, Bruce says, I don't remember you mentioning this in any recent episode, but did you know that Apple has removed the ability to prioritize which Wi-Fi base station your Mac connects to? You used to be able to drag the order of verified base stations 
with the preferred ones at the top, but no more in Ventura. Maybe a gig challenge. Yes, I think it is. Um, and yeah, I, I verified this on my system. So, so if you go to system settings, Wi-Fi advanced, you'll see a whole list of authorized networks, but they don't have a way to add or delete or reorder anymore. Why Apple? (laughs) Why did they? I know there's an answer to this question. Unless I'm missing something. I mean, there's a little dot, dot, dot to the right of each one, but I think the only option you get there is auto join, copy, remove. Okay. So, so you can remove them. (laughs) Sure. So the GUI gives you a way to remove them, but I don't see a way to add them. No, well, you can, oh, you can add here for sure. I mean, you, you add just by joining a new network, right? Oh, okay. Um, but can you, you used to be able to add beforehand, like when I would go to an Airbnb, uh, they would often give me the Wi-Fi credentials ahead of time, you know, like the day before or whatever, and I would plug it in. That way it syncs to all my devices and I would have it. So that's, I haven't tried that with Ventura, so that's interesting. Uh, but you found an article, John, about how describing how Apple, a knowledge base article from Apple, describing how auto joining works on Mac OS Ventura and, and presumably everything else, because you've never been able to set these on iOS. But it says it um, evaluates set identifiers and scores them. And it tries to connect to networks in the following order. Number one, your most preferred network in quotes. Known networks are scored based on your actions. If you manually switch to a network, its score increases. If you manually disconnect from a network, decreases. The quote-unquote most preferred network is the network with the highest score. Oh, sure. That sounds great, Apple. I mean, I get it. Like, I, I, This is a great default. But if we know that something is best, let us tell you that. Um, private yes. networks... Are those set up in homes and offices and can include your personal hotspots? So that's number two. So you get most preferred first, then a private network second, and then public networks third. If macOS Ventura, et cetera, uh, finds multiple private or public networks, it prioritizes uh, each by security level and chooses one in the following order. So EAP is at the top, WPA3, then WPA2. Uh, then and WEP and then unsecured. <sighs> unsecured and open networks will not be auto joined unless the network was connected to within the past two weeks. This is this seems like important information. I'm glad we're sharing this. I, I'm, yeah. I'm I don't think I'm happy about this, but I'm glad to I know, know it. I'm not. I didn't I didn't know until just now. I knew, I knew part of what he's talking about. I didn't realize you couldn't even reorder. Yeah, same. There. Right. Right, same. I hadn't tried that. What, what up, Apple? Come on. Yeah, I get it. You know, you it, they provide. They probably spend a lot of time on customer support. You know, okay, is your laptop plugged in? You know that kind of stuff. I get it. So put in there. Hey, you're about to make a change. Are you sure you want to do this? Type yes. Okay. No, I I don't think somebody's attention, but I don't think that's the reason. Even, Pete. Give, no, no, okay. I, I, I I I you're like I like your logic. But I think okay. there's there's something else that happened with Ventura that that forced this change, and it's okay. the new system settings app. 
we don't have system preferences anymore. So right. they took iPad OS's system settings and ham fistedly shoved it onto our Macs. It got better throughout the beta period. It sucked at first. It got better, but it's there's the functionality that was only on the Mac in the past has gone away. Right? It still needs to get better. It needs so it might come back. I don't think based on this article, which is from October 25th, I don't think so. But I, like it could, like you know, things can change. Like you know, it's fine. I don't think it's coming back. I think they like this better. But but I think I don't think they would have taken it out of Mac OS. Right. I, I right. think it was yeah. just removed as a byproduct of system settings being shoved in there. All right. Well, thanks for bringing that up, John. I mean, I'm upset. Yeah, we, we now. did. Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we did have uh, actually. I think Brian found this article. There is an article that says using terminal to order SSID preferences and system preferences, but. It's seven years old, so I don't know if I, this yeah, device would work. I, I I think those commands still exist. We will. It, it was from it was an asked different article. We talked about this not that long ago, like maybe Monterey days, and I think this was the command to um to 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 do it. So yeah, it'd be worth ch- testing this out to reorder Wi-Fi networks. All right, well, it's in the show notes at macgeekup.com or mgg.fm slash 960. So uh, you can find it there uh, if you so choose networks. All right. Yep. Sorry. Um, While we're on the home network in that realm, Elliot has a question. He says, I have gigabit down cable internet from Xfinity. He says, I'm currently using the Motorola M8600 modem but Xfinity recently told me that it is incompatible with the download speed of my internet plan because of quote unquote filters. He says it supposedly maxes out at 944 megabits per second. The Xfinity message offers different equipment. Some of them he's ruled out, but one of the things is the model up from this or the model number up from this, the Motorola M8611. He says, based on the specs, it all looks the same save one thing does it matter what's xfinity saying and the one thing that's different is the number of ethernet ports on there the mb8600 has a gigabit ethernet port the 8611 has two and a half gig ethernet ports so i get why comcast is saying this Uh, they're right that you will max out at that 944 number because that's where gigabit ethernet maxes out. Once you take the overhead out of it and all that, like that's the, that's what you're going to get. The gigabit service from Comcast is technically 1.21 gigawatts. No, 1.21 gigabits. Sorry. Uh, Of it is 1.21 though. I will point out. Uh, So you couldn't get, like you couldn't pass that amount of data through a single gigabit ethernet port. And so that's why they're telling you it's not compatible. I assume, I mean, he's telling us it's working. The real question is, okay, great. You've got a two and a half gig ethernet port on your cable modem. And I would say if you're buying a new cable modem these days, get it with at least a two and a half gig ethernet port. If you're buying a new router these days, get it with at least a two and a half gig ethernet port on the WAN side so that you can, you can get that data through for future proofing. Uh, But 
unless you have other devices that are either using more than a gigabit ethernet port on themselves, or you're going to have multiple devices that are going through that one router and you want to be able to get the squeak out the extra little bit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go crazy replacing that now, but it is a good reminder that yes, 2.5 gig ethernet exists. Um, there's also five gig ethernet. And then of course, 10 gig E the nice part about two and a half gig is it's much cheaper for the chips and you just use the same cables. And so it's all, it's all good. Um, I would, I would definitely get, routers and cable modems with two and a half gig ethernet now, but I wouldn't like throw everything away. If that makes sense. I don't know if, if you guys have thoughts on this. I'm still on uh crawling service. There cable you go. Modem. Yeah. I, I've had, uh, I, I've had the uh, Fidium folks with a coiled up cable at the end of my street for <sighs> 10 months now. That sucks. They showed up in February. I said, when were we going to get Fidium in our neighborhood? Gigabit Ethernet. Uh, yeah, it should be March, April. Mm. They didn't say which year, Dave. Right. <laughs> right. 2023 is your year, Pete. I can feel it. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Like the Synology router, it's weird because I'm using the RT6600AX, which has one uh, 2.5 gig Ethernet port. Here's the odd part. It is not the main WAN port. The main WAN port is a gigabit Ethernet, one gig. The... Um, there is a four port switch on it. Ports two, three, and four are also single gig E port. One is the two and a half gig ethernet port. And the reason they did this was you get to decide whether you want port one to be part of your WAN or part of the LAN. And there's a little switch inside, you know, in the software that you can say, Oh yeah, no, put my, put my router on that. So you get to decide which way this is going to go. If you wanted to use it for, you know, your NAS or something on, t on your internal network, if you didn't care about it on the external, great, fine. So it gives you that flexibility, but it's not obvious. Like I had to ask them and they finally were like, oh, yeah, no, it's just that one port. I'm like, oh, your marketing is kind of misleading on this, but that's fine. So I do have my consolidated, aka Fidium uh, fiber connected to the two and a half gig Ethernet port on my on my router. I mean, I don't have any other devices that can use two and a half gig Ethernet, so I don't know that it matters. Like, it would be better to have two ports like that. But uh, sure, like, fine. And I think it, I think, I, well, I think that you can pay now for Fidium to get two gig up and down symmetrical. Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. I, don't I think you're right. I'm yeah. not doing that. So, oh, man. Uh, Pete. We yeah. promised that we were going to talk about your your trials and tribulations here. Y you you did something that I think a lot of people are going to do and yeah. uh, are going to find themselves in. You decided that you and you alluded to this earlier, I think, that yep. uh, your your NAS was not the right device to run your media server. You wanted to do some things that um, that your your specific NAS couldn't do. But you had an extra Mac mini lying around or you procured one. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. You have one. So I do. you I have two. <laughs> well, there you go. We're nerds. It's how it works. Yeah. But but yeah. you started telling me about and, and we, we actually went back and forth on a couple of elements of this. But you started telling me about this process of setting up what is now and what will will be for it. The, the next phase of its functional life, a headless Mac mini as a media server. And I, I think this is an attractive thing to a lot of people, because when you start looking at the price of a NAS, 
um, and the CPU that you get in a NAS and you want just a media server, a Mac mini, especially a used Mac mini, it's going to have way more horsepower and potentially the same or lower price tag. So absolutely. Talk Absolutely. about the headaches and how you solve some of the headaches of, of getting a Mac mini up, a headless Mac mini up and running on your network. If right. You would so, uh, so briefly, the, the main reason was I, I was trying to run channels after the Google Hangout or mm-hmm. uh, oops, uh, Zoom Hangout last week that we did with uh, cord cutting. Um, I came into the channel 20 minutes late and said, hey, what's channels again? And everybody did the forehead slap and went, we just covered that dude, go back. Right. So I went and get, looked at channels and I went, oh, this is really cool. It's It's a essentially a replacement for Devo. I want to run this. I put it on the NAS drive, my Synology NAS drive, and and it would not grab my TV everywhere stream. It's just like, uh, so it didn't have the horsepower to run it. I'm like, okay, so some don't, and I forget, I think you need a, I forget what it is. You need like a one gig Celeron processor sure. minimum. And my, my NAS couldn't quite cut that mustard. So I went, all right, I've got an old Mac mini that's laying in the basement. It's been there for several years, but it's not booting right. Um, and I, and long process I went through and I don't think it's going to work. I, so I procured a new base model, 256 gigabyte hard drive, uh, SSD, eight, eight gigs of Ram, just, just minimal the the base one you can get with the 21, 19, uh, 2021, uh, M1 processor. And well, how do you get it up and running though, as a, as a server headless. So I needed a keyboard. I needed a mouse and I needed a monitor. Um, didn't want to buy those. Fortunately, my son has a Windows gaming rig that he uses. So I got his USB keyboard, mouse, and monitor, booted up the Mac Mini and went, oh, we're in business. I turned on sharing on all, you know, file sharing, media sharing, all that kind of stuff. That's the first thing I had to do. Then I installed, uh, we're going to beat this horse to death, right? Tailscale. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, put Tailscale on it. And, uh, boy, this, no matter how geeky you think you aren't, trust me, it, tail scale is as easy as it gets. You put it on, set it and forget it. Um, and then I installed the channels DVR and Plex and then pointed it all towards my NAS drive, which is where my Plex data is and where I decided to keep my, uh, channels data for now. But that's why I was saying, Hey, maybe, Hmm. I'll, I'll put, I'll just put those on USB drives attached to the rig because I've only got 256 gig. I've probably got two terabytes of media. So that isn't going to work, you know, on that. I can't keep it internal. Um, and then, uh, the, the, uh, advantage once that was done, all set up, I was able to unplug all of that stuff, take, take the Mac mini downstairs, plug it into the router via cat five cable and turn it on. And then I was just able to use the screen sharing app to, to go right into it. Right, well, right. that works for local, but Tailscale allows me to get it from anywhere in the world. Yeah. So that's okay. Um, so you, you needed, I'm curious. Uh, and I, I don't think any of the mm-hmm. three of us know of a way of doing this. If, if, if we do, please say the word, but yeah. if, if one of you knows the way of doing it, you know, feedback at MacKeyCub.com, we'd love to hear like, is it possible to set up a headless Mac mini while remaining headless? Like you had yeah. to go through the, you had to use, you had to set up a head something to get Mac, it up and running Mac yeah. mini. But, but do you have to like, that's, that's my question is what yeah. would be all, there's gotta be another way. So I think I'm, my other option may have been to turn off my wife's iMac and then used her 
Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, but I still would have needed the, uh, fortunately, my son has a separate monitor with an HDMI cable. So I plug in the HDMI cable. I still, I probably could have gotten it to recognize the mouse and keyboard Bluetooth for setup. Okay. You gave, that's what it you gave me a hint though, because if you don't have an extra monitor, let's say you're a laptop only household or you're a laptop and iMac yeah. household and your iMac can't be an external monitor. Right. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, but you do have the external keyboard and mouse. Okay. Great. Screen sharing. Well, no, I mean, you got to, no. well, I don't think you can use screen sharing as part of the setup process, but I could be wrong no. about that. Like maybe it, it's, maybe it's there. Um, yeah. But most of us have a TV in the house that oh, via yeah. HDMI is also Bingo. a monitor, right? Yeah, so absolutely non-optimal, yes. but if, you know, if all you got to do is spend 20, 30 minutes getting it ro- up and rolling to the point where you can control it headless, well, then it doesn't matter. You're good to go. Yeah, then I use my laptop to yeah to set it. The only difficulty I've I've had with it is when I do system preferences, or, uh, sorry, system settings. Yeah, and I go and displays on it. I'm having a difficult time. It, it doesn't give me a drop down list of the various resolutions, and so I have to squint with my old eyes. Um, <laughs> so getting it to readjust, give me a better resolution for make it look more like my laptop as opposed to a great big monitor all squeezed down yeah. small. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not optimum, but I'm so little time on that that it kind of doesn't matter. I can squint for a few minutes. I wonder if like but, Switch Res 10 would oh, help okay. there because that will essentially force your Mac to adopt resolutions that the monitor connected or the lack of monitor connected yeah. communicates. So I like I think there's an, a software solution for you there, and it might be Switch Res X or Switch Res 10. I'll put a link to that in the show okay. notes too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to answer... I have a thought, I don't know if it's the right answer, about whether or not you should use the, you know, the the thumb drive uh, versus oh. your Synology for your um for your channels library. And, and let me give let me give you one more piece of information before you go with that thought. Uh because last night I restarted it and I couldn't get anything to work. I'm like what the hell's going wrong here, right? It didn't auto mount my NAS. Right. And it took me 15, 20 minutes to figure it out. And I think if I have USB drives, they're going to auto mount. They would. Yeah, you would need to run right and then run uh, an automator action uh, or an Apple script that mounts your your drives or or use like what is that? What's that app? Is it Mounty John? M-O-U-N-T-I-E, I I think Mac OS. What's it called? No. Crap. We'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes. Someone hopefully will remember auto mounter. That's it. Uh, okay. It was at Mark in the chat room. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, and there's others too, but auto mounter is, is certainly one of them. Um, that would solve that part of the problem. And you're definitely going to want to do that uh, yeah. for obvious reasons. But I, I would, and I would advise doing that because channels is going to be writing and deleting a lot of data because you know you watch a show you delete the show you watch the show you delete the show you watch the show you know Mm -hmm. it's it's or you know you tell it only keep five episodes of a show expire them out so there's there's a lot of churn happening Mm -hmm. churn on ssds is not the greatest oh yeah yeah good point you know um I, i mean i know we do it with our our macs but um it's it's not the best so I would go with putting it on your, your, you know, your NAS and, and the NAS. Yeah. The spindle drives will handle it a lot better. Yeah. And plus there's, 
Plus, there's failure protection Fault there tolerance. that wouldn't be on a USB. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah that 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 would be my reason for just yeah. Usually, lose the USB drive in theory could lose all of my all of my media. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, which may or may not matter to you. I mean, I, you know, it depends, yeah. right? But yep, yep. Most people who are using channels are using TV everywhere to get like their signal over the internet, yes. their, their, their content over the internet. Uh, but if you were using it with an antenna, then you have no other way of getting that data. Like you could, you could, if you're using YouTube TV or Fubo, you could tell YouTube TV or Fubo to record all the same shows that channels is recording. You just prefer yeah. to watch them with channels, but that's a backup. If you're using an antenna, there's no backup. So it may, yeah. it may, may, may and at the, at the danger of making this a, another channels hangout, um, is there a good method? I, what I'm, what I am is overwhelmed with the number of channels. Let's not go there right now. We okay. don't, there, right. we don't have time for that right now. I'll find out. Yeah. I'll that will be another hangout. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ask in, ask in discord, com slash discord. Cause that, well, yeah. because I, you know, John and I are not the, the uh, John doesn't even sure. use channels. I, I don't use extra channels. So ask people that do. Uh, yeah. Ask yeah. in our, in discord. That's right. the place to, to, to get those kinds of answers for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, you got anything else you want to, you want to do Rick here? We've got a couple of minutes left, my friend. Um, yeah, we can do Rick. Though I okay. think he answered his home question. Amazing. Did we'll he? share it. I like it. Uh, one of my friends has an iPhone, but he does not have a Mac. He has a lot of duplicates in his contacts. I know how to easily fix that on the Mac, but I'm struggling with how to fix it on his iPhone. Do you have any suggestions? Um, I tried my Google Foo, but what I got from the Apple site didn't seem to apply. I don't see an option to merge them. Uh, and yes, Apple does have an article called "Get Rid" uh, that he found called "Get Rid of Duplicate Contacts on the iPhone." That sounds correct. Um. Though only part of the article worked for me, and I think uh, – so they have two suggestions. They're like, okay, well, to resume duplicate contacts, uh, below my card, tap duplicates found. And I tried that, and I didn't see anything titled duplicates found. However, they have another entry, um, but it's kind of weird. So if two entries for the same person aren't linked automatically, you can unify them manually. Um, tap one of the contacts, tap edit, then tap link contacts, then choose the other contact entry to link to, then tap link. Um, what this did for me is it kind of hid the one that I linked to, so it didn't appear in the main contacts list, but it appears on the card that you linked from. So, uh... But it doesn't really remove duplicates, so I'm wondering if I mean tell your friend to buy a Mac. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, does iCloud.com have duplicate detection on don't Ooh, on good, contacts? Good suggestion. Okay, I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I'll, I'll I'll pull it up while we're talking about it here. Um, yeah, the link contacts thing. Uh, certainly, you can link two contacts that are both in your iCloud library, for example, uh, where that may, may be more of a scenario where you would want to merge them because they're in the same library. But if you are logged into multiple contact libraries, you know, you've got your iCloud library, your Google library, your Exchange library, you, you know, the LDAP library at your work or whatever, you might have the same person in in two or more of those. 
And that's where the linking contact thing really has a lot of power because you have these separate contact records that will always be separate. But for your sanity, you can say, yeah, on my devices, treat these all as one person because they're one person is the um, man. iCloud looks different. I haven't been here in a little while. Um, let's go to contacts and it's I'm loading iCloud contacts here. Can I find duplicates? And I don't think refresh contacts preference doesn't look like there's duplicate uh, functionality here. I I wonder if there's a, just a third party app for the iPhone. Um, contacts, oh, there you go. Duplicate detection, right? Like, I mean, why? Like, you can give third party apps uh, the ability to 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 do that. So why? I'd look, but I'm using the iPhone as my camera, so I can't. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm not seeing any apps come up when I'm searching for this, but that seems weird. Um, but what's interesting is like, I, I feel like we're missing something obvious here because I, I think that I've gone into contacts on my iPhone. In fact, I know that I have, and it said, I just found eight duplicates. Do you want to view them and merge them? So just like yeah. photos, it will offer this if it finds them. Now you're relying on Apple's definition of, uh, you know, how it finds duplicates to, to surface them for you. You not, you can't do it manually, but like, I, I wonder if I have any duplicates on my phone. Let me, let me, let me look here. Cause I, I, I swear that the phone just sort of does this. Uh, so if I go to iCloud, I think I have to scroll. I don't know. Um, yeah, right at the top, one duplicate found view duplicates. Can I share this on the thing? You know, like it says it one duplicate found and there it is. So again, this is Apple's detection and you don't get to participate in, in choosing what it calls duplicates, but yeah, it found two cards for, um, my friend Alan and I, I bet they are correct. It'll show me everything and it let me merge them. So this is. Truly a duplicate detection merge. Good to go. Yeah, I found it. I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes. Great. There's uh, an Apple support article that says get rid of duplicates on the, on the phone. Yeah. Resolve duplicate context or link them manually. So yeah, uh, yeah. That there. Yeah, the linking is the one thing. But but yeah, if it if you have if you have more than one contact card with the same first and last name, you can merge the duplicates below my card. Tap duplicates found. And uh, you're good to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, doing a bit of Google Foo, I found an article called Best Apps to Delete Duplicate iPhone Contacts in 2022. And it's dated on the 8th of this year. So I haven't tried any of these nor heard of any of these. but Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but there should be a third-party app that that does this like I, I i mean there is on the mac right like you know so there's got to be something yeah yeah i wonder if, i wonder if gemini has that option you know again this guy doesn't have a mac so that's his problem that's right? the problem I bet, right i bet gemini which is in set app will i bet it has a contact duplicate contacts remover yeah so there's easy cleaner with 24,000 reviews five star average clean up duplicate contacts 7,000 reviews so 
search i search the iphone store for duplicate contacts remover i haven't used any of these so i can't recommend one but i can recommend looking for one there's tons that, of them well average five stars is probably it, pretty good it's probably not gonna like you know kill off delete your, your contact your data but <laughs> but again without a mac you don't have the ability to pull that backup down so yeah 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 fascinating all right this is good stuff i like it yeah fun we are uh the time has come the walrus said to talk of many things but but not these things it is time to end if you have uh next week we've got some i I think we got through the backlog of cool stuff found finally uh maybe i don't know i've got some boxes yeah same (laughs) but we do have a bunch of now we have a backlog of quick tips so we'll start with quick tips next week we'll uh you know we're getting there we're making it all happen it's all happening at the zoo uh join us live yeah listen later on monday which is the day after christmas but we're going to record on Festivus, Dave. That's what I hear. That's right. Yeah. MacGeekGub.com slash calendar. Uh, you go there in your web browser. It'll redirect you to your calendar and you'll do your thing. You'll see we hope. that we're uh, that we're getting there. It works for me, Pete. I think. Uh, <laughs> yep. yep. I'm a Luddite, Dave. Uh, I, can, I know. I can screw up uh, any yep. of this. <laughs> uh, but go there and uh, or join our Discord. MacGeekGub.com slash Discord. Uh, but uh, yeah, come join us. And uh, we'll, we'll do cool. St- we'll do quick tips out of the gate next time. Make sure we get through our backlog of those. Make sure you send in cool stuff found, quick tips, questions, feedback at macgeekup.com. I know I said it once before. Nobody else seemed to hear me, so I figured I had to say it again. Wait, what? Feedback, feedback at macgeekup.com? There it is. There it is. There's an echo in here. There is an echo in here. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for checking out our sponsors, of course, PIAVPN.com slash MGG, Masterclass.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Go check out Pete's So There I Was.us podcast. Woo! And, uh, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's all I can think of. Oh, God, I feel like I'm missing something, though. What am I I missing? John, what am I missing here? Um, Pete has the answer. Uh, What you're missing is you didn't tell people don't get 